Let us then return to that portion of God's Word we read from Amos chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 1 to 8, particularly this evening. And if you want one particular text that we would highlight, it would possibly be verse 8, which reads, The lion hath roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? Last week we looked at the previous chapter, or the bulk of the previous chapter, from verse 4, and we also read uh, down to chapter 3, verse 2. And uh, a title we give to that sermon was, They Are Worse. And what did that mean when we said, They Are Worse? Well, basically what we meant was that God looks upon the sins of believers more harshly, if you like, than the sins of unbelievers. That was certainly the case for uh, Israel and his people, Judah. Why did the prophet Amos preach against the sins of God's people? Well, we answered that question in our in our modern scene by basically saying because the sins of Christians are worse than the sins of unbelievers in the sight of God. And friends, this is a New Testament teaching. Of course, it's an Old Testament teaching, but you'll find it in the New Testament also. You'll find it, for instance, in 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. For the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? And we might be inclined to believe that as professing Christians, that God has no controversy with us. Well, that's not the case, or it may not be the case. And therefore we are to hear Surely this is what our text is telling us. The lion hath roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? Well, the title I want to give to tonight's meditation is The Roaring Lion. Now, who is the roaring lion? Well, friends, the roaring lion is the Lord God himself. He is roaring. He is speaking. And he is speaking here through the prophet Amos. The prophet Amos tells the sinful people of Israel that the Lord, like a roaring lion, has spoken, and that his judgment upon them is imminent. We know that his judgment is imminent upon the nations round about Israel. And as we noticed last week, well, that might please some of them. But... Amos was now going to point the finger directly at God's people. And they would not escape. There was no way out unless they repented. And the very fact that the Lord has announced judgment is an indication that there is still mercy there. There is still grace. It's when judgment comes unannounced that there's no grace, there's no mercy, 
There's no hope of repentance. But when God announces judgment that's going to fall upon his people, there is some hope for repentance. And this is why he has sent the prophet Amos on this occasion. Well, I have two main headings that I wish to highlight with you tonight. There's a lot in this chapter. We'll deal with some other things later on. But two things from these uh, eight verses or so. And you might say uh, verses one and two could be summed up by calling it Israel's call. Israel's call. And when we're talking here about Israel, we are talking about the whole of Israel. Israel, the 10 tribes, and Judah, the two tribes. Although, as we've said, Amos primarily was sent to speak to the 10 tribes. But on this occasion, he is including all, all children of Israel against the whole family which I brought up from the land of Egypt, and so on. Well, there's a number of things we notice here about Israel's call. And when we look at Israel's call, we are to see that this call that Israel received is somewhat similar for the Christian. And there are a number of things about this call that we find in these verses. First of all, Israel's call was gracious. It was by God's grace. There was nothing special in Israel as a nation. They weren't a mighty or a powerful nation. They were not particularly noted for wisdom. They had really nothing going for them. Nothing that would distinguish them from any other nation whatsoever. What did distinguish them was that God chose them. And God chose to work through Israel his glorious and his wonderful plan of redemption, which is still unfolding before us today. But in of themselves, they were not mighty, they were not powerful, they were not influential, there was nothing outwardly or inwardly attractive about the nation. But God in his grace, God who can do as he pleases, chose them. And it was all of grace. The call also was effective. You'll know the history of the people in bondage in Israel, in Egypt. They were there under the, the dominion and the thraldom of possibly the most powerful nation in the world of that day. What could they do? They were slaves, nothing. But God, displaying his wonders, displaying his power, brought them out from that terrible place and in the process broke the power of Egypt that it never ever recovered again. And therefore, we see that the call of God was effective. It was able to take them out to the promised land. It seemed impossible. Here they were, two million people, 600,000 maybe soldiers, but they were not, they were not, they were not a well-disciplined uh, army or, or anything like that. But God, through Moses, his servant, brought them out, out of the, the, the land of bondage, 
into the promised land eventually. Yes, it took some time, but nevertheless, God did not abandon them, and therefore their call was effectual. Why was it effectual? It was effectual because it was the call of God, and he laid bare his omnipotent arm to bring them out, and no power in heaven or earth could stop them. And that's the great God that we, we worship and adore. And the call, it can be said of this call, it was exclusive. He looked upon this tiny people, this insignificant people, and he chose them, and he didn't choose any others. There was other nations all around them. But he chose Israel. He set his love, he set his affection on Israel. Does he not say here, you only have I known? Was he not telling them in some sense when he says, you only have I known, it's some kind of intimate relationship that he had with Israel that he didn't have with the other nations round about, or indeed anyone else in the world. Well, all of these things, that gracious call, that effectual call, that exclusive call, if you like, friends, can be magnified and applied to the Christian. The people of Israel as a nation were never elected towards salvation as we know it. Many of these people indeed were the chosen people, but they were never chosen to go into heaven, into the ultimate promised land. But the Christian has been chosen before the foundation of the world. Can we get our heads round that? Can we think about that? The more you think about that, friends, it, it baffles us. It should humble us, certainly, but it's true. It's been revealed to us in the Scriptures. If you are a Christian tonight, it's not because of your upbringing. It's not because of your parents. It's not because of the sermons you heard. It's not because of the ministry you sat under. It's not because you prayed. It's not because of all of these things, good as they are. It is because ultimately God chose you in Christ before the foundation of the world, before the world was ever formed, before sin, before everything. God set his love upon you. And that love was ultimately manifested in the sending forth of the Savior who suffered and died in your room and place. And in the fullness of time, that salvation was applied to you by the work of the Holy Spirit. It may have been you sat in a, in a church service, in a, in a pew, and you may have been nodding off you may not have been paying any attention, but suddenly something happened. You begin to feel your sin. You begin to feel your loss and your perishing. You begin to see something of your own heart. The scriptures began to be opened up to you to a certain extent, and you realized your folly. You realized your lostness and your hopelessness and your deadness. And what happened? You looked to Jesus Christ. The Spirit applied the gospel to you 
not to someone else who is sitting beside you, not to your brother, not to your sister, not to them behind, but to you. He put his finger on you. That's what happened. It was gracious, it was effective, and it was exclusive. What a wonderful thing you have, Christian. Well, what a wonderful thing the people of God had in these days for them to be chosen. But as with all privileges, with all blessings, there is responsibility. There is responsibility. And this is what they forgot. They took their election for granted. They basically say, well, we can live as we want. We're the people of God. We can do as we please. The Old Testament will tell us as we go through it that these people, the people of Israel, became even worse than those that they drove out before them. Why? Because they thought they could do as they please and God would somehow look upon them with favor. Well, we are God's people. God's not going to punish us. God's not going to take us to account. That's what they said. That's what they thought, in effect, by their behavior. Now human nature has not changed. And there could well be some among us this evening. And we delight in this. We delight to hear about the sovereignty of God and we delight to hear about election. We delight to hear about sound Calvinism. But what about our lives? What about the responsibility? What about living as Jesus Christ would have us to live? Be ye holy as I am holy, he says in his word. Who can do this? That's what's required. Be ye perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Oh, this should make us tremble, should it not? We're to be like God. This is what Christians are to be like. There's no excuses. There's no exceptions. It involves responsibility. We are to recognize the high calling that we have received. You have been adopted into the family of God. There is no higher honor that can be bestowed upon any individual, none whatsoever. The King of England, what can he give you? He can give you an honor. How long will it last? For your lifetime and then when you go the way of all the earth, what good will that honor do you? But friends, when you're into the family of God, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. That's what he says to them, and that's what he says to the Christian in an even greater sense. What responsibility lies upon us? 
we become the sons and the children of God. Well, he reminds them of their privileges, of their blessings, of his unique and special love that he has manifested upon them time and time again. And now they think that God will overlook their sins because they are the people of God. That's not the case. And it's not the case for us. You remember Nadab and Abihu, Aaron's sons, they were installed into the priesthood. There they were, a wonderful ceremony with all their clothes and the anointing and everything was done. And then, friends, what happened? They thought little of ministering in the sanctuary. They offered up strange fire. Oh, we're priests. We've been anointed. We can do as we please. We have this responsibility, but we're not going to take it on board. What happened to them? Fire from heaven fell upon them. God was making an example of them. This is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me, and before all the people I will be glorified. Now you might think that has particular reference to, in our modern day, to office bearers and ministers of the gospel, and of course it does. Of course it does. But it applies to every single Christian. The principle is the same. You belong to God. You're married to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is your husband. You are to behave accordingly. You're not to carry on with the world or with idols or with sin. You must be done with it. That's what he says. This is it that the Lord spake, saying, I will be sanctified in them that come nigh me. Is that not true of the Christian? Do we not say that we have a, a special relationship? Do we not, through the Lord Jesus Christ, call our great God our Father? Our Father? I will be sanctified in them. That's what Moses said to Aaron after he lost two sons. Aaron held his peace. What a wonderful privilege it is to be a Christian. To be in that family. Well, he tells them, I will punish you for all your iniquities. All of them. Again, this is, this is in the New Testament. This is not something that is, has been abrogated, we might think. Some people think, well, the Old Testament is gone, it's done. We're in the New Testament era now. Well, yes, we are. We're in the New Testament era. What does Paul say to the people in Hebrews? For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourges every son whom he receiveth. God is a perfect father. And he will deal with his children in a perfect manner. And when he sees them erring, he will not let them off. He will send afflictions. He will send punishment. He will send judgments. 
He will send whatever it does to restore them. We'll all know it. And we'll all bless God for it one day. As painful as it may well be. For whom the Lord loveth. And who does he love? Who does he love so much as the Christian? There is none in the world that he loves like the Christian. He will scourge therefore every son whom he receiveth. And if you're a Christian, and if you're erring, if you're on that broad road, he will strike you and he will bring you back on the narrow road that leads unto life. Well, Israel's call, we can see it as the Christian's call in an even greater measure. Secondly, from verses really three to eight, I've called this God called Amos. Verse seven, for instance, surely the Lord God will do nothing but he revealeth his secret unto his servants, the prophets. Now, before we come to that, we have a number of rhetorical questions that Amos thrust out at the people. He issues some questions to them. Now, some people don't like to be questioned. Some Christians don't like to be questioned about why are you doing this? You take someone aside and you speak to them. Why are you behaving like this? Why are you doing that? They don't like to be questioned. Well, a true hearted Christian friends will like to be questioned. That's why we, we read or sang from Psalm 139 because it opens up by telling us the Lord has looked upon that individual and then it ends. Search me. The Christian wants to be searched. The Christian wants his sins to be exposed in order that he might, by the grace of God, forsake his sins. And some people get very hot headed over this, but the Christian should welcome when someone comes alongside them and begins to question them. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. We're going to sing that shortly. Friends, does this mean anything to you? Do you really sincerely, when you sing this, is this something that's on your heart? Do you want God to examine you? Well, the psalmist did, and we should too. And this is what the Amos does here. You see, Amos was a, a nobody. He was a rustic nobody. He comes into Israel. He begins to preach. He goes and asks these questions of the people, and they begin to say to themselves, who is this individual? What right has he got to speak unto us like this? Who is he? He's from Judah. He shouldn't be preaching here. Let him go back to Judah, as we shall see as we go through this book. And one person says, the land 
cannot bear his words. The land doesn't want his words. We don't want to hear them. But here he asks a number of questions. What are these questions? Well, these are questions, rhetorical questions, that only have one answer. And basically the answer is, God is about to pounce on them. That's what it is, because of their sins. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Can God and a sinful people walk together? No, that's not what happens. Can two individuals, can they walk together if they don't agree? They cannot. You cannot have fellowship if you don't have friendship. You cannot have fellowship with God if you're walking in sin. That's what he's saying there. And because of this, God is ready to pounce upon them. Will a lion roar in the forest when he hath no prey? No, he won't. The lion roars when he's about to go on his prey. And the lion here, as we've seen in our text, is the Lord God himself. He's about to pounce on them. Will a young lion cry out of his den if he have taken nothing? No. He cries out in his den when the older lion brings in the food and he's about to pounce on it. That's what he's talking about. Can a bird fall in a snare upon the earth where no gin is for him? No. Shall one take up a snare from the, no from the earth and have taken nothing at all? No. What's that talking about? It's talking about the fact that they have succumbed to temptation. They've fallen into the trap of sin. That's what it's talking about. And it's inevitable. If they're in the trap, they're going to get caught. That's what he's talking about there. Shall a trumpet be blown in the city and the people not be afraid? No. When the trumpet's blown, what's the trumpet telling them? The trumpet's telling them that there's a, there's a fight abroad. There's an enemy coming. It's to get your weapons and begin to fight. It's exactly the same. The Lord is about to pounce on them. Shall there be evil in a city and the Lord hath not done it? Oh, here some people find this most difficult. This doesn't fit with their image or their understanding of God. Shall there be evil in a city? Well, it's not talking about moral evil. It's not talking about moral evil. The evil of sin is from ourselves. But what it is talking about here is the evil of trouble. Well, when trouble comes, comes upon a person, and when it comes upon a family or a community or a nation, it is because God has sent it. What? Does God do that? God who is love, does he do that? Yes, he does. And although modern people might not, not like it, it is the truth. That's the God with whom we have to do we. Shall there be evil in a city? 
Shall trouble come upon a city or upon a nation or upon a family? Who has brought it? It is God who has brought it. And they were going to find that out, as we would say in, in modern words, big style. The Assyrians were going to come, capture them, take them away captive. What? The people of God? God's chosen people? Yes. God's chosen people. Well, the Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophesy? You see, these things were revealed to Amos. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Amos was walking with God. These things were revealed to him. He was able to prophesy. In fact, he couldn't but help prophesy. He couldn't hold it in. God had spoken to him and he was, a, he was prophesying. He was telling them what was happening. He was God's mouthpiece. But the problem is, friends, and maybe the problem for ourselves today is, the Lord God has spoken. The Lord God has, has spoken in, in and through Amos in that day. But who is hearing? We noticed earlier, the watchman, cries out. When the watchman cries out, what happens? People take notice. They know there's going to be a battle. They know there's going to be trouble. They know their lives are in danger. They will do all that they can to, to protect them, themselves, their family, their property, their possessions. They will begin to fight. They will begin to prepare to fight because the watchman has told them but here was God's watchman. Here was Amos. He was laying it clear and plain to them. Were they listening? Did they listen? No, they did not. What about ourselves? You go to the, doc you go to the doctor. The doctor speaks to you. You listen to the doctor. You take the medicine. You take on board his advice. You're happy to accept the doctor. The dentist, you might not like to go to the dentist, but he tells you, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. It might be a bit painful, but you'll be better after it. Well, you'll succumb to that. You will listen to him. The teacher, you'll listen to the teacher. To a certain extent, you will. You'll listen to a solicitor. You're going to go on my property the solicitor looks at the property, he looks at the title deeds, he looks at all the ramifications of the, the purchase you're about to go into, and he says, there's a problem here. There's a problem with the property next door. You Surely you're not going to buy this property. Look what's going to happen. You've got that problem next door. Oh, you'll say, I'll go for some other property. I'll not, I'll not go against the word of the solicitor. He's a professional. He's educated. 
I will listen to him. You'll listen to the civil magistrate or the government. You'll listen to health and safety. The health and safety say you must do this, you must do that. You listen to the government, shut the churches during COVID. We listen to the government. Will you listen to the Lord your God? That's the thing, friends. That's what really matters. When the Lord speaks, sadly, no one listens. As we go through this book, Amos doesn't generalize. He opens up their sins. He pinpoints their sins. And they don't listen. What about ourselves this evening? It's a terrible thing to hear God's word and not to listen. The lion hath roared, God has spoken. It demands obedience, repentance, turning away from our sins. Now the sins that Amos identifies, we shall come to them as we go through the book, may not be the sins of ourselves. Sins of lukewarmness may be appropriate. Sins of covetousness. Sins of self-righteousness. Oh, we're, we don't do this. Other congregations and other denominations do this, but not us. We don't do that. We don't have uh, guitars. We don't have praise bands. We don't have puppet shows. Hypocrisy. We spoke about it on Sunday night. We could speak about it virtually every Sunday night. It's a real sin. When you try to make out you're something you're not. God knows. And these spiritual sins are offensive in the sight of God. Oh, we're not involved in drunkenness. We're not involved in open uncleanness. But we can be involved in idolatry. Another spiritual sin, covetousness, another spiritual sin, greediness, gossip, spiritual sins. Do you think God does not see? Do you think he does not care? Do you think he will not take you to task over these things? He will. The roaring lion. May God bless his word to us.